Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, where we share knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insight to help you on your journey in both sport and life. Introducing your host, Rob Riles. Hello, and welcome along to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. Welcome along. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another edition. Well, in today's program, I'm really fortunate to be joined by somebody from across the pond who's given up his valuable time to be with us on Leader Manager Coach. Now, this gentleman is somebody that um, has a distinguished career in the military and um, has got a really unusual kind of approach to, I don't know, let's call it self-development. And uh, I've read one of his books, um, and I believe it's been an Amazon bestseller, and it inspired me to ask him if he'd come on the podcast. So I'm just going to tell you just a short biography about him, and I'm going to ask him to put me right if anything anything I say is not correct. And we're talking to Dominic Teach, and um, Dominic is is somebody who guides goal-oriented individuals towards success using techniques and strategies that he's gained from his uh, career as a fighter pilot. Um, I know he's been a, a military instructor in the uh, world of flying airplanes and assists other pilots. He also assists business owners, entrepreneurs, and other instructors using really practical, short, and insightful steps that he's learned on his own journey. Um, he's the author of multiple titles, including the bestseller Single Seat Series, and again, guides those looking to define or redefine their purpose in life with uh, impactful stories from his life as a, I don't know, a warrior in the air, as he puts it. So Dominic, welcome to Leader Manager Coach. Thanks for having me, Rob. Excited to be here. Good. So um, I'm always interested in people's stories, Dominic. Um, did you always know you wanted to be a fighter pilot or uh, is that something that kind of grew on you later on? You know, I think it was it was something that that grew early on and and just based on your the title of your show, Leader, Manager, Coach, um, I think a lot of us underestimate the value that we have when we coach the younger the younger generation that's coming up and that aspires to do that. And I think for me, there's, there's no pilots in my family. There's no Air Force officers in my family. I mean, I was definitely a first. And so um, being interested in airplanes was one thing, but then, um, you know, it's a, such a small thing, but I, I still remember to this day, my dad and I built a fighter jet on our kitchen table um, at my, grand, my great-grandfather's house when I was seven years old. And I, I still have that little model to oh. this day. Um, but as a seven-year-old kid, um, I never thought that I couldn't fly fighter jets. I had no idea how to do it. Um, but it was just something that I, I, I told myself as I was growing up, I'm either going to be a major league baseball player or I'm going to fly fighter jets. Nothing in between, huh? This I wanted them to. Yeah. yeah, and I never really had anybody tell me, no, you can't do that definitively. Yeah. And I think that's that's super important is that, you know, obviously if you have massive medical problems, medical issues that you're fighting with, um, and you know what's funny is that somebody said, I grew up wanting to be a professional soccer player, and it was it was a book that I read, and I think he was a biplegic or something like that. He, there was no physical way he could be a professional soccer player. So he, he started a business and then he bought a soccer team. So then he got to be on the field 
and associate with the soccer players every single day because that was his passion and that's what he wanted to do. So yeah, I think yeah. there's always there's always a different way to crack the nut. There's always a way, pal. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so just so I've got a little bit of um the background. So you um you you were a, a fighter jet pilot for 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 a, a period of time, um, and then because I want to get to like your your authorship and to talk about your 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 work at the minute, really. So, um, how long did you do that for, Dominic? Yeah, so I was a civilian instructor pilot um, during college and then after college for a number of years. And then I went into, um, I got into the service through the officer training course. So I went to training that way, not while I was in college. Like, like I'd say most of the people that are in the military go either through the service academy or through a, a four-year institution. So I had already gotten my degree and done all my stuff. And I, I actually joined and had my all my civilian ratings. And then I went through military pilot training. And I'm still currently... I've been flying fighter jets for about 17 years now. So I'm, I'm still currently in the military. I'm just, a, I'm a reservist right now. Um, so I'm actually a full-time instructor pilot um, flying F-16s in the reserves. Um, and it's, it's, it's my dream job. It's, it's freaking sweet. Well, that's great to hear because not many people get to do the dream job. Let's, let's be honest about it. Um, how difficult was it to pass the relevant test examinations to be allowed to um you know sit in that seat and uh, do what you need to do uh, so it i think it depends on every person i'm not extremely good at taking written tests but if you put me in a simulator or an airplane things just make more sense to me because it's I, it's hands-on um, i've always liked being outside and playing actual sports versus you know just lifting weights in the gym kind of gets dull to me so i need to do something that you know maybe is with other people like mm -hmm. a team sport or even just a sport by myself um but in regards to the test the academic tests um you know i obviously i i passed them and i i did well enough on them um, but by no means was i a 100 percent kind of student on on written tests um, i had to study quite a bit to uh to pass those during during the flight training portion i don't know if that answers your question or not no i just, just I, yeah sorry go ahead yeah i think the the bigger thing is that there's a there's a mountain to climb before you even um, get accepted to the military. I think that was the tough part for me is that I, I spent a couple of years applying to even get selected to go to, to officer training and my paperwork from the recruiter's office got lost three times. Um, and it's not like, oh, we just lost a little file. It's no, it's months of work of submitting documents. This is back when obviously like internet and or email was kind of a newer thing. Um, text messaging was brand new. So you couldn't just digitally sign something online. I mean, a lot of times I was driving, you know, two, two and a half hours to get to the recruiter's office um, to drop off paperwork. And mm. that was the bigger test for me was how bad do I want this? And I think after the second time my paperwork got lost, I really had kind of a more or less a come to Jesus of like, you know, what, what am I doing this for? And what's the bigger why? And um, clearly... I found that because I'm here now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So is there like a statistic for how many people start training and how many people uh, pass at the end of it? Like um, they say, like in the Marines and the the, the parachute regiment in, in the UK that like there's, I don't know what the stats are, but they're pretty frightening, really. It's like 20% of people who still are still there at the end of it, you know? Yeah. So pilot training, um, I'll just give you the statistics from my class. I think the... Um, and, and not every class is the same. Um, 
back when I was going through, by and large, most people wanted to go to fly fighter jets. They just thought it was the cool thing to do. Um, that didn't mean that the top graduate in the class every once in a while would want to go fly like the C-17 and, 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 and do a tactical mission in like a cargo jet. Mm. Um, and I'm not downplaying those career fields because that's an I've ridden in one of those airplanes and they're, they're a pretty incredible airplane. However, in my class, I started out with about 30 students. And after the first phase of training, we were down to maybe 22. So we lost eight in the first half of training. Mm -hmm. And then by the time we got to track night, so we, we didn't have our wings yet. That's basically halfway through. They go, okay, here's, here's who we're going to, you know, put in the fighter track. Here's the heavy track. These guys are going to C-130s and these guys are going to helicopters. So there's these different traps, tracks, you get all farmed out to them. Um, and then out of my class, I was one of three to go the fighter track out of the 30 students that started. And, and that's kind of how it shook out. So I think it was, it was less about, um, washing people out and getting rid of them. Um, mostly because the, by the time somebody gets to pilot training, they've already gone through a four year degree. They usually have at least a little bit of flying experience. They go through what's called flight screening. So they've already flown another airplane that screens them out. So there's already a bunch of screening processes that have happened. And yes. so when they start, it's just a matter of, I mean, the airplane that you fly is a, is it has a jet engine on it with a with a propeller on the front. It's a turboprop airplane. It, it can pull G's. It's got an ejection seat. It can fly upside down. And if you can't, um, if you have error or motion sickness, that's one of the big ones. I think in our class, there was, geez, I think at least three or four of the eight that didn't make it through just could not. They, they were throwing up every time they flew. So and and is that something, Dominic, that there's virtually it's not something that they can control easily or learn to deal with. It's like a difficult thing to overcome because it's a physiological you, thing you that's can, beyond control. You can actually, you, yeah, you can actually deal with it a little bit. Um, I, so I, you're talking to the wrong person. I've, I've felt a little woozy in the airplane a couple less than a handful of times. And, um, you know, I've been flying over 20 years now. Um, so I'm probably the wrong person to talk All to right. it, but I've, I know, I know some guys that have had, you know, that have thrown up in the airplane that have had, air sickness, you know, issues, and they're able to overcome that. But some, some guys can't. And, and clearly you, you wouldn't want to be a passenger in an airplane where you knew you're going to take off and the pilot was going to be throwing up up front. So cool. that's kind of a requirement. Now in the civilian world, um, it's much less of an issue because they're not, you're not flying upside down. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're just taking off and landing. And if you've flown okay. in a civilian airplane, yeah, it's not much different. In fact, it's probably easier up front. So look, you're a great guy to talk to because you're a coach and you teach other people and you guide other people and facilitate their their growth. And um, the, one of the things that I do is I coach young footballers and, and, and I'm kind of interested in in the parallels. And um, so so we get we got in, in pro football and soccer in, in the UK, there's this massive cohort of young players and it's only a real small percentage that, that will get through to the to, to play on the pro sport. And it's probably the same in the NFL and and MBA and all that. So how, how do you approach um, your, your training and, and your instruction from in, in dealing with, um, you know, young people with stars in their eyes? Because I think that's what people have. It's a dream, isn't it? It's not like, oh, I want to be really practical about this. It's something that it's an emotional thing. Um, and there must be lots of challenges on the way um, that you as an instructor have to deal with. 
Dominic, if that's not too broad a question. Yeah, I think I think just um, you know, my my instructional um capabilities and techniques have definitely changed over the years. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, and 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 you've probably seen that in yourself as you get um maybe a little bit more experience. You're one, you kind of know a little bit more of what to expect. You're introduced to a lot of different personalities. Um, and I think one of the most important things that I've heard is that we have, you know, the, the military has been training fi- um, pilots for a long time. So we mm-hmm. have we have a syllabus. So we have a, a literally a course map. And I think, you know, anybody that is trying to be a professional uh, football player or soccer player or whatever, there's there's going to be a course map that kind of guides you along that. And then there's the, the other piece of it is that, you know, I've been asked this question before is like, well, how do you find somebody that can coach or mentor you? And I think that's the wrong question when you're starting out. I think the, the better, the better route, which is the one, one that as I've asked more and more people about this, it's less about going out to search for a coach or a mentor. And it's more about if you're starting out just that hunger, you okay. know, cause somebody that has that hunger. And I think on one of your podcasts or one of your things that I was watching, you talked about the character behind, um, someone that is, is hungry for that. And that was me. And that is hard, really difficult to fake. Um, and people might not see through it initially, but if you're a coach, Rob, you're going to look at somebody and go, dude, you're just not hungry. Like you, do you really want this? You know, are you, um, you know, it's like, it's like a boxing movie. And I remember, I forget the name, but the, the boxing movie where the guy's like, he didn't start winning matches until he had to put food on the table for his family. So there's a much bigger why is why are you here? And why are you hungry for this? Mm. And that character over time um, will just completely fall apart if it's for the wrong thing. So I think the person, if I was, you know, if I was kind of coaching somebody or kind of looking at my previous self, I'd be like, why do you want to be a pilot? And if it's for money, it's, that's not a very good reason. Cause it's not a, it's not a, that's not a timeless reason. Um, mm. A bigger reason is I want to feed my family or I, I want to do something bigger in my life. And aviation allows me to see the world that allows me to do this. And there's like a bigger why it's a bigger story. Mm. So I think that's more for the, that's more for the person that's starting out is that you need a roadmap and there's probably some steps, but mine are much different than the steps that I took are much different. But I think the important thing is there's the hunger there and there's action behind it. That character, I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know that I, I started college and I started taking aviation related classes and I started flying and I started just doing things that were down that track. And oh, at the same time, I was playing on a club baseball team. So I was kind of doing the things that I was like, I want to be a professional baseball player and I want to fly fighter jets, one of the other. So let me just start doing both of them. And as I started along that path, one kind of fell apart and the other one kind of kept going. So mm. I think if you're starting out, there's a roadmap everywhere. Everybody's path is a little bit different, but get going, start, and somebody will coach you. And that's what I found is I found Dr. Bob Wakefield at the civilian airfield. And he was the one that I sat down with, um, with my dad there in the room. And he's the first one that we talked to that was just, he basically said, let's start flying. And I, I almost fell out of my chair. I was 16 years old and I just could not believe that I was going to be allowed to fly an airplane. And so that was kind of the next step. Now, fast forward, you know, uh, 25 years now, now sitting in this seat and, and having been an instructor for 
like well over half of my life and seeing a lot of students. I was a civilian flight instructor too before a military instructor. Right. And I think the, the biggest thing that I learned as a coach or a mentor is that, and this isn't my idea, um, a fighter pilot, a retired fighter pilot here uh, that works as a contractor, he said that um, Nasty Grimwood, he's like, you can, I, I need to give credit to his name because nobody will know who he is, but he, he's the one that told me this. He said, the syllabus is built but it, you know, it's built for this course of training, but it fits no one student. So that's your job as the instructor is to fit that syllabus okay. to the student. And I yeah, think as a, yeah. you know, like the kind of the nuts and bolts is if you're starting out, you need to get going and take action. And that hunger needs to be there. And the coach and the mentor will find you because they'll see that in you. And it, it'll just a matter of time, right? And it, it'll take time, but somebody will see you and they will help you along. And then as the coach or the mentor, it's important to know that when I'm instructing someone or when I'm coaching someone, there is a course map that I think might work. However, it needs to be tailored to every single individual person. And that's the tough part. And that's as you, as you get more experience, you're able to kind of see the, the, a little bit bigger picture. And when you're younger, I look back and just laugh at some of the things I did as a young uh, instructor pilot. And that's just part of learning, right? You just, you, I think the, where I started really excelling as a, as a fighter pilot instructor was when I learned to laugh at myself because I was making mistakes as an instructor that were affecting the student. And that'll happen. Look, co coaching or instructing, as we call it here in the UK, it's not for everybody, is it? So why, what, do you know why it grabbed you? Do you know why it called you? Do you know why you, you've, you got into it? Cause it's not for everybody, Dominic. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, I've met some phenomenal fighter pilots that are, um, you know, they've, they've gone through the top gun weapons school and all that kind of stuff. And they're supposed to be the best of the best instructors. And some of them are so good that they, they want to be the tactical fighter pilot and they are just phenomenal, but sometimes their in, instructional capability yeah. is not quite there, you know? So I think, I don't know what really grabbed me. I've always liked, um, you know, I started out when I was 14 years old, I got hired as a downhill ski instructor. So um, I, I was teaching people how to downhill ski at a really young age. And I also grew up playing music. So I was teaching people how to play like bluegrass violin music. I was coaching, right. you know, high school math while I was in college. Okay. Um, and then I got into, I just, I don't know. I don't, I've never really even thought of that before. I just have always liked to coach and to just, um, you know, if somebody is hungry, I've helped a, a number of young kids actually start their own business. Uh -huh. And it just, because I can see that. And, and I know Rob, you'll know, because I don't have, and I'll, I'll tell people now this right up front is I'm, I'm not going to push you at all. I mean, I might push you as you get going to go in a certain direction, but initially that inertia needs to mm. come from you. I don't need to do any of it. I'll just, I'll guide you a little bit, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to motivate a pile of jello. <laughs> like I'm not going to just yeah. sit there and poke you. You yeah. need to do that. But I don't know. I, you know, honestly, I've just have always been in, in a job or, or usually on the side, at least in coaching or instructing or, or some, some flavor of that. Are you struggling to find that extra edge to help you stand out above the crowd? 
Separating yourself from the rest is often about personal leadership. Achieve your true potential and become who you really can be. The Leader Manager Coach Pro Course is a unique membership accessing the knowledge and wisdom from history's greats that will help you develop both personally and professionally to make you truly stand out. The Leader Manager Coach Pro Course. Access now at patreon.com Leader Manager Coach. Do you, are you in your line of work, Dominic? Are you in a situation where you have to make cutthroat harsh decisions on whether somebody's good enough? Or is that just down to whether they tick and tick tick so many boxes out of so many boxes? Is that something that there's no argument? Or is there like a because in soccer here in the UK, we have we'll have meetings where there's a group of coaches who sit down and they'll basically almost decide whether a young person's going to be given a contract or not, you know, and it's like a life or it, it can destroy people, you know. Um, is that the same in your line of work or not? Yeah, 100%. So the the students get to us and they've already gone through a few mountains full of training. They've, they've gone to college and gotten their four-year degree. They've gone through flight screening. They've gone through undergraduate pilot training, which is months and months and months and months, like a year of training. And then they go through... Um, introduction to fighter fundamentals, which is another program that screens them before they get us here. They've gone through survival, uh, evasion, resistance training, water survival, parachute training. So they've done tons of training to even. So they're resilient people when they get to you. Yes, they've been through quite a bit. And honestly, the majority of them should pass our program. Now, I think you said a word and the word is group. So you guys will all sit down together and um, and decide this. It's not a, it's not a single person. And I think that's an important piece is that yes, they did, you know, when a student gets to that point where they're starting to struggle mightily, um, the one difference that I've seen with those students that make it and those that don't is their attitude. And that's a very difficult situation to overcome as a student when you are, um, in a fighter squadron where everybody is type A, everybody's there to win. You know, the squadron is packed with instructor pilots that have gone before you. The other students potentially are doing better than you. And now you're just, you're busting rides and you're, you're down and out. And this literally these students, and I've, I've talked to these guys, the students that make it and those that don't, it largely depends on their attitude. There is a little bit of aptitude that needs to go Amazing. into that, but their attitude is because that attitude allows you to see those different opportunities when you are so like in, in the trenches, taking grenades. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So, but so yes, we are in a position as instructors to, um, shape and influence, um, that students like future outcome. And then there are some students that just, and, and I've unfortunately flown with them, um, and had to make the, the tough decision, you know, of, you know, they've gotten to this, it's not like just one flight and boom, you're out. I mean, it's, it's a number of like probably about a Consistent. month and a half of time, right? It's just going on, it's grinding. And then we all sit down as an instructor pilot cadre and we just kind of go, you know, what the, the difference is, is you need to be, you need to be somebody that when we plug you in as a wingman, you're, you're helping the team. And if you're a danger to yourself, I mean, we, we can't have that on our shoulders. And oh, by the way, if you kill yourself in the jet, then that's going to be on my conscience. So that's kind of always, if I find myself coming back and as I'm sitting there before I go in for the debrief and I say, man, if this guy, can this guy fly this 
fighter jet by himself safely, effectively? Can he be a competent wingman? Can he execute the tactics like we want? Can he bring the jet back in one piece? Can he do all these things? And then, oh, by the way, is, is he going to kill me or kill himself? And like th those types of questions, they start to enter my mind. Like th that's when I'm like, ah, we're in kind of different territory here. But, you know, we you mentioned it as a group. We usually sit down and just discuss because there is there is a lot of subjectivity into it. Mm. So you there know, is, you do have to have these difficult conversations, yeah? Yeah. And there's even, so for me, I'm more of a uh, underdog, um, like, go, yeah, go, cheerleader. Go, right? Give That's, him a chance. Because huh? I've, I've been an underdog my whole life. And there's people have given me endless, countless ch chances. So I'm usually the one in the room where I'm like, dudes, I think this guy could make it. And here's why. His attitude, his, you know, let's give him another shot. Um, but then there's also been some students where I'm like, his attitude is good enough, but his aptitude is just not there. Mm. And those, those are really tough conversations Difficult to have. Ones, yeah. 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 It's great little conversation. That's great. I'd love to move on because of the time and, and um, to ask you about how did you evolve and develop your brand of your single seat wisdom and um, you know, the, the, the work that you're kind of doing with your writing and, and, and stuff. Cause it's um brilliant uh it, it resonates so so well with with leader manager coach particularly on myself so how did that evolve dominic yeah so the the single seat wisdom book series started as kind of a hobby and so at at that point um so i started a company called single seat mindset because we're single seat fighter pilots there's a trained mindset that goes into that just like a professional soccer player or professional football player you don't just step onto that field and become that yeah. person. It's trained. It takes years of time, right? It's it coaching. Mm. And then I think it's a learned behavior, right? You have to learn all of those things. Just like mm. uh, more of an analogy for me, stepping into the batter's box as a professional baseball player, mm. you, you're not going to hit a hundred mile an hour fastball without having all the, the training mm. behind it. So as COVID kind of swept across the globe, we found our students, we had one of the one class that just struggled more than we've ever seen before. Right. And we very quickly realized that the social aspect of being a fighter pilot, being, you know, telling stories, coaching each other, um, being in the fighter squad, and that was such a huge part of our culture. Um, so the during that time, I was actually mountain biking one morning, and I was kind of up in the foothills, and I looked out over the city, and I was, I was like, man, what it, what do we do for this? So I just started um, sending the class a little two minute email message once a week. And my pitch to them was, it's going to be short, it'll be impactful. And it'll, it'll have, it'll usually have a short little message in there. And then it'll, it'll have the well, how do I fix this? Or what do I do type of message? So that's really where it started where those short little messages. Well, after the fifth or sixth class that came through, I got really sick of sending these emails manually. So having started businesses before this, and you know, I own a real estate business as well, I built a website and then I built a capture form and then they could go sign up by, by themselves yeah. and they could, you know, I automated it all. And then from there, I started talking to some other fighter pilots that I knew and I said, hey, you know, when you retire, you've got a really cool story. Like what, that story's gonna die, let's put it on paper. And that's kind of how we went from single seat mindset of being kind of a hobby and me helping the students to, then starting to talk to some business owners in the real estate arena. And, and they were the ones that told me this stuff is very leverageable for business owners, entrepreneurs, sports players. Mm -hmm. All of these messages are mm -hmm. very 
leverageable yeah, that you've learned absolutely. as a fighter pilot. And so then we then we started capturing stories from fighter pilots and we wrote the single seat wisdom volume one and we made it volume one just to kind of open the door to go yeah, well, yeah. what if we want to do volume two so we did yeah. volume two and then the government actually here in the us just approved literally this week nobody else knows this i haven't even put it on the social media chats yet but they just approved this week volume three so all the chapters are in we're editing them and we're going to publish those uh, volume three here on uh, November 11th, Veterans Day. It's great. What a great little story. Um, didn't expect it that. Um, start from a, some, from an email to help people out. Respect. And it's going to, uh, might even trump chicken soup for the soul if you keep going, bud. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was, that's what a lot of people have said in the sense that they're like, dude, this is just like chicken soup. It's short. It's, it's brilliant. It's a little story. And then yeah. there's a, a little chunk of wisdom at the end. And no, I'm not going to even try to compare myself to chicken soup. No, I love it. <laughs> um, I got to ask you a question. Um, it's two two parts of the question. Um, it's your your nickname is Slice, yeah? Yeah. And now everybody in the book, and I've got I've only got volume one, but everybody's got a nickname. Is that now in soccer, like it's it's rife in, in the in the inside of professional football. Every it's okay. I'll, I'm not sure if it's the same in the women's game and or, or the, the female side of sport or, or whatever. But men are kind of got this thing about just get a nickname within like one day. You know, you, you've got a nickname. You'll have a nickname, and I love it. Um, so number one, how did you get your nickname? And number two, how, can you tell us a little bit about the other nicknames for the other guys? Is it something that they, um, they had automatically, or is it, how did they evolve and all that? Do you know the stories behind it? Yeah, so it's not an automatic thing for sure. Um, you kind of you kind of earn your your nickname in the fighter pilot community, just like you do in you know the police force or any yeah. professional you know sports. I had my own nickname when I was playing baseball, club baseball back in the day. Um, it's not this. It's not. It wasn't slice. Um, <laughs> but so I got my nickname because I flew in. I was um, stationed in Japan, and I was flying in the uh, the. Uh, our squadron mascot was the samurai. So um, I went out as a young fighter pilot and um, I broke a training rule and almost ran into my, um, the instructor pilot that day with my aircraft. Right. Um, I was pointing at him too long. We were essentially doing, for, for lack of a better term, we were essentially doing dog fighting. So close in visual maneuvering and we turned and pointed at each other and we're trying to take the first shot and I'm trying to take the first shot so that I can, you know, win the fight essentially. And I pointed at my instructor pilot too long and we had a very close pass. And so that's the first piece of that is that I almost died, um, you know, trying to win that fight. I broke a training rule. It was a hard lesson learned. It was maybe a little bit embarrassing, but more of just a good lesson. I mm -hmm. lived, let's learn from it. The second piece of that is that fighter pilots have essentially a, a naming ceremony. So the pilots that are named within the fighter squadron will all get together and they will um, usually just bring up all of the bad things about you. So for me, it wasn't very difficult. I had a lot of bad things about me. So they put all these names on the board and then there's a, you know, they kind of go through and weed out some of the names and there's, there's some stupid human tricks you have to do and, and some other things that go on yeah. behind, you know, closed doors, like any, yeah. any yeah. knit group. Um, and then they, they decided to give me the call sign slice um, for many reasons, but one of them was I tried to slice my um, instructor pilot in half and we were part of the samurai <laughs> squadron. But yes, it. I think to answer your question is that no, you don't show up on day one. In fact, it's it's probably a number of months as a new instructor pilot. 
um, your actually your call sign is actually FNG for the the effing new guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's just you're okay. you're FNG, um, okay. and so you have to kind of earn your call sign. And usually your call sign. Um, sometimes it's a play on words, sometimes it's an acronym, but usually it's because of something stupid that you did. In my case, um, yeah, you need to try to kill your instructor nearly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a cool. Thank you for that, Dominic. Um, yeah. What about if I can ask you about the Anna Schindler Foundation? Is that um have I got that right? Have I said that right? Yeah, yeah. The Anna Schindler Foundation. Um, so Anna Schindler is actually my first cousin, and she um she, I, th I think the way you pronounce it is hepatoblastoma. It's some sort of liver cancer, I believe, but she got liver cancer, um, when she was really young. So probably six years old and she went into, um, the hospital and her parents, um, Polly and Joe Schindler, my aunt and uncle essentially took a 12 on 12 off shift, uh, every day, um, while she was, uh, in the hospital, um, going through these, these treatments. Mm. Well, um, Anna was, was on the upswing and then, and then she wasn't, so she passed. And the, the big lesson from that was, yes, it was extremely painful to lose a child and, and all of the things. So Anna passed, I think around the time she was seven, well, Polly and Joe, um, Schindler started the Anna Schindler foundation. And what they do is they build, um, for lack of better term, kind of Ronald McDonald style homes that families can live in while their kids are going through these treatments uh -huh. because living in a hospital is a, yeah. it's a, it's hell on earth mission. Yeah. So, um, I think that's the bigger, the bigger picture is that they, they started something much bigger than that. And then they actually ended up adopting, um, a kid that was the same age as Anna that went through cancer treatments and made it and they adopted wow. him. So he's now Blake is now part of their family. Oh, beautiful. Um, so yeah, it's a really cool story. And we, um, early on, um, I decided when we started single seat mindset, the company that we would give all of the proceeds from that company, from the books, from any proceeds we get, we give them to the Anna Schindler, uh, foundation. Beautiful. Um, so mm -hmm. all those proceeds go to helping families that are no kidding, living that hell of their kid going through, you know, cancer mm -hmm. treatments. And then, and then they've got Polly and Joe Schindler that have lived through it themselves and they have this big community behind them. Uh, to help them through that. What a beautiful story. And um, yeah, credit to uh, to you guys for, uh, you know, for giving back in, in such an amazing way. Um, look, Dominic, I want to kind of wrap wrap this up and kind of bring the things together. Um, look, a lot, I'm listening to your story and I'm listening to all the, the, the things you've said. And um, it's a, this is, this is a great, a great, there's so much in, in what you've said, you know, you, you've, you had a dream as a kid. Um, you, you were focused on a couple of things that you wanted to do and, and you never had these doubts and, and um, you, you took action from an early age, whether you knew what you were doing or not, you kind of just got on with it. And, and uh, like you say, your, your mentors, your coaches kind of appeared in your life. Um, you got into your, one of the things dropped away and the other one got legs, if you like, and, and you got into your, into your training. And um, from what you've said, the, the biggest thing that you brought to it and the thing that got you through was your own desire and hunger beyond above and beyond your ability. Um, and, and that was what got you through. Um, and, and that's what you're saying about the, the, the people that you instruct as well. That's kind of seems to be if I've, if I've got the right message that that's the kind of golden thread that, that 
is is the thing that kind of gets people through um which is beautiful because i i couldn't agree more um we we've got in 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 professional soccer in the uk we've kind of got we call it a four-cornered model which is like how are you physically how are you technically and tactically you know with the ball uh, and how are, how are you socially and psychologically because if you're if you're a bad apple and you can't get on with people then you're gonna you're gonna struggle and and you know if you t- speak to um elite coaches and you say look as long as you've got somebody who's got an ability it doesn't have to be the the very best in the world but if they have an, an ability to perform it's the psychological aspect that will make them world class um which i think kind of fits in really really strongly with with what you've said um you've evolved this beautiful single seat wisdom, a brand that's kind of got legs and has got such a beautiful giving part to it, which is amazing. Um, I kind of want to just say to you or ask you at the end of this, um, Dominic, kind of to bring this together. If you were um, advising young people, young players, young aspiring sports people, soccer players, uh, you know, um, with your wisdom of your life, uh, you're flying uh, and you're instructing. Um, probably asking you too much, really, to put it into 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 you know one sentence. But kind of, what would you say to them, and uh, you know, to to help them on the way? So, what I would say to my younger self, because um, usually if somebody is very hungry, and especially if you're going into professional sports, um, being a fighter pilot, any any really like peak performing group of people and this could be doctors lawyers attorneys i mean all of those have their Mm. own Mm. edge to them if you will so they don't necessarily need to be physical uh in the physical domain they could be mental too Mm. um i think the younger me needed to know that that hunger it's there's a fire behind it um and that fire can burn other people Uh, Uh and and you may not be doing it intentionally but i think the important piece that i missed as a young guy was just forgiving myself and then going back and just immediately mending those relationships. So you talked about the social aspects of soccer players, just like fighter pilots. If you can't get along socially, if you don't have what we call a good bar act, right? If you're a, if you're a liability in the group, <laughs> yeah. it's not fun. Really? No, no. It isn't. It's, it's like, messy, oh, yeah. there goes that guy, dude, he's going to get freaking hammered and do something stupid again. Now we got to babysit you. So if you don't have a good act and you're not socially capable, that's a problem. So, and, and I'm not saying I, I'm not like a pro at it or anything. There's a lot of guys that are just better, better at being fighter pilots. So for me, that fire could tend to burn people. And I think I, I needed a healthy dose of humility and the big, the, well, what do I do? Or how do I make that better is just know that along your journey, somebody's going to get pissed off and you're going to make mistakes. Um, and I think it was Tony Robbins that said, failure is an event, not a person. So just realize you did not fail. You're still, you're still on your journey. You're still on your path, but those failures, there's going to be, there's going to be way more failures than you're going to have successes. You're going to miss a lot more corner kicks than you are going to make them. You're going to have, hopefully, eventually you'll have a lot of good landings and bring the aircraft back in one piece, but you'll never have a perfect sortie. You'll never have a perfect flight. So I think for me, just learning early on to um, when I got fired up, because I was a very fiery young lieutenant. Um, yeah. And having worked in the civilian world, I brought a different flavor to that as well that the military didn't have for the young guys. And I needed to go back and mend those relationships that I burned 
um, you know, whether it was an interaction or whatever, and just be like, hey, I jacked up. It's my fault. I'm sorry. I want to move on. Please forgive me. Like, here's how I'm making it better. And just do that. Yeah. And unfortunately, it took me a handful of years to, to get to that point. So if I could have started that early on, I think I would have had, it, it would have made life a lot easier. I think I would have still gotten my, my goals, but just that humility to go, dang it, that was my fault. And, and just to realize that, and I knew it a lot of times, but then I got scared from, you know, going and, and confronting that person that usually is a higher ranking officer or somebody that's been around a lot longer and just go, Hey, dude, I jacked up. I'm sorry. Like, I just want to move on. And, and I'm going to work really hard to never let that happen again. That's a great example of insight and uh, beautiful human humility and a willingness to um, pick yourself up, recognize where you're not so great and do the only thing you can and try and do something positive about it. So I think that's a great place to um, leave our listeners with, Dominic. So I want to thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, bless you, my friend, for sharing your wisdom. Thanks, Rob. I really enjoyed it. 